Welcome everyone to Christmas Around the Table. We're so glad that you're here and you're tuning in. My name is Abby and I'm one of the pastors here at HGBB and I am joined by my friends around the table. We have Kathleen, we've got Stephen and Steve. Our theme this year at HGBB is home. That's what we're going to look at over this Christmas season. And I don't know about you, but what is more like home than sitting around the table full of food with your friends and with your family? Today we're going to have a conversation around the table about the story um, of Jesus' birth and the events that surrounded that. And currently we're in the season of Advent and we've got Christmas and you've got Easter, right, in the Christian liturgical calendar. There's lots of other things that happen, but those are the two big events. And on the run-up to those events, you have a season of preparation. So for Easter, we have Lent, and for Christmas, we have Advent. And that's the season that we're in right now. And I feel like we don't really talk about Advent that much. Like you usually know you're in, like Christmas is coming because Pavilion, you know, they've got like their whole display of sparkly things and they've got fake snow. Have you seen that when they do like fake snow as well? Um, But Advent isn't necessarily this sparkly or shiny thing. Advent is a season of preparation. And so it starts where we're at. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're gonna anticipate Jesus being born into the world at Christmas. And we're going to look at it through Luke chapter two. And so everyone around the table here has some brilliant things to share, some parallels that they've been able to draw with their own life or that has mirrored their own experience. And so we're going to have a great conversation. So we're in Luke chapter two and the world at the time when Jesus was born, that's where we start. So let me read Luke chapter two, verses one to three. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Jesus is born in first century Palestine. That's what this um, historical context tells us. And first century Palestine was under the rule of the Roman Empire. But Jesus was born into a Jewish family and into a Jewish community and society. And yet they were governed by this oppressive foreign rule of the Romans who had lots of emperors and governors dotted all around the region. And so we meet this guy, Caesar Augustus, I suppose, it's not really fair to call him this guy. He was a very powerful man. He he had slaughtered his way to the top. But this is a man who had a lot of power. He made this like one admin decision. You know, he wants a census, he clicks his fingers and the whole world has to then move. The whole inhabited world has to go back to their hometowns. And yet this man was full of power, had gone through a lot of different battles and wars and um, on his rise to success. And that's the world that Jesus was born into. It was a world, a place of conflict, a place of of oppression um, through the government. And Steve, you have a really interesting job. Um, 25 years, right? 25 years covering conflict zones around the world. So you've been yes. to lots of different war zones. That's kind of like your your thing. Can we say that's your thing? You've... I suppose so. <laughs> I think, you know, yeah, God gave me an interesting role as an investigative journalist. Mm. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so I spent, like you said, a big part of my adult life in places like Afghanistan, mm. Myanmar, uh, Haiti, oh. and uh, a lot has been going on in those three countries quite a bit this year, especially yes. especially seeing the Taliban take over in Afghanistan. Mm. 
I was actually there in 2001 when the Taliban first surrendered. Gosh. And you talk about, you know, oppression. Mm. You talk about, you know, bowing or obeying the rulers. You saw that quite a bit. Mm. You know, you see that everywhere around the world in yeah. Afghanistan and elsewhere. So you can see some parallels with this passage, Jesus being born into a country that was occupied by a foreign force. Like what would the day-to-day -day life be like? Do you have any like insight into that? People who live... Yeah, the over the years I've, you know, spent a lot of time with families, you know, mm. and um, sometimes with the soldiers that are doing the oppressing, if you will. Gosh. And I can always say that it's often the the people, the average citizens that are often the target of a lot of mm. the trauma and a lot of the hurt and the suffering. They suffer the most. And it's, it usually leaves a sense of helplessness mm -hmm. among the populace. They may not want to be ruled, but they have no choice. And you might be the most capable, most talented person. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter mm -hmm. because if you run afoul of the ruler of the day and they want to punish you, Mm. and you're punished. So there's a sense of helplessness. Also, even though there's injustice, a sense of insecurity. Yeah. Because you just never know what's going to happen next. Yeah, and Mary and Joseph, we know in the next few verses that they're expecting a baby. So she's really pregnant and all of a sudden it's like the order comes in and they have like no choice in the matter. They have to get going. Like, yeah, how do you think they would have felt? Yeah, I, I, having read up on this a little bit, you know, Mary and Joseph had to leave Nazareth to mm -hmm. go to Bethlehem, yep. she's heavily pregnant. Uh, they believe that during that time, it was the wet season. So you can imagine, they were traveling not by car, but <laughs> you know, by donkey or on foot. Gosh. She's heavily pregnant, and they have no choice but to go, mm -hmm. and it's cold, and they're just suffering through to get to Bethlehem. Yeah. I think that's really interesting, because that's the world that Jesus chose to be born into. Like, he could have chosen to be born into a squeaky clean place or a very peaceful place or uh, somewhere with really good infrastructure. And yet Jesus chooses to be born into a society that's a bit complex and a little bit messy. Um, but I suppose like thinking about ourselves and, and that, I, we don't want to say that conflict only exists over there, that conflicts only exists in the Middle East, for example, or, you know, only where you see it on the news. But I think the reality is conflict is kind of closer to home very often. Like we can be surrounded by conflict on like a daily basis, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your home life. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, here's, here's a confession in a sense. You know, when you talk about home, it really resonates mm. because, you know, while I spent my life focused on conflicts in war zones yeah. and elsewhere. My life growing up was full of conflict mm -hmm. at home. I had a, a mom and father that were always fighting. Mm -hmm. So we as kids were often hiding upstairs or elsewhere as they fought. And then mm -hmm. my dad became abusive and often sent my mom to hospital. And the trauma that it leaves you as a, as a child, mm -hmm. imagine a five-year-old watching your mom being beaten yeah. and then having to call an ambulance to send her to hospital. That trauma, trauma is what a lot of people mm -hmm. experience in conflict zones on mm -hmm. a daily basis. But at home, we saw it all the time as well. And I can say that that trauma lasts with you for your lifetime, unless you get help. Right. And, you know, that's the thing that I learned over all these years coming to know God, mm. that, you know, I sought Christian counseling, you know, to get through it, to deal with relationships, because I never had positive mentors, mm -hmm. you know, when it came to a this is what a healthy relationship looks like between yeah. a mother and a father and yeah. a husband and a wife, yeah. you know, and so counseling helped that. Yeah. And to have 
Christian counseling where we, I asked Jesus into some of these memories of trauma, you know, it's amazing how that just changes everything. Mm. And it makes you whole again. Because mm. that's the part of the thing with a lot of people I've interviewed in conflict zones. They're not whole because mm. they've suffered so much. Yeah. You know, but that's the story of Jesus. Yeah, God yeah. purposely, right, mm -hmm. had us, uh, had, him, uh, had Jesus born into a moment of conflict. Yes. And then he restored. Yeah. And that, that's why I love Christmas, because it is that message of hope yeah. you know, that is actually really physically helping us. Yeah, I think that is what the hope is, that Jesus chose to be born into that circumstance. And I think the hope for us and what we can leave with that, whatever your experience is, whether conflicts at home or in the workplace or wherever, that Jesus wants to step into that context that he can redeem and restore um, and that that's the hope we can expect um, when we invite Jesus into our lives. Wow. Um, should we continue with this story? See what happened next? So we know that Jesus has been born in a place of conflict. Um, the census have been called and everyone is now making their way down to wherever they are originally from, the whole inhabited world. Um, and Mary and Joseph, this is where Mary and Joseph come into scene. So we're going to pick up the story again in verse 4 to 7. It says this in Luke chapter 2, verse 4 to 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there uh, to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So I'm sure you guys are all familiar with the, the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph hit the road. She is heavily pregnant, expecting the baby. There's no time for nesting at this stage. She has to leave their home and they arrive in Bethlehem. And, and one thing that's really interesting is that's where Joseph was from. And because they ended up going to Bethlehem, they fulfilled one of the prophecies that was spoken about Jesus. In Micah 5 verse 2, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel. And because of this guy, Caesar Augustus, issuing this decree, his political power, actually God used that to weave the story together so that Jesus would end up being born in Bethlehem, which is pretty cool. Um, otherwise, they probably wouldn't have gone to Bethlehem. They had absolutely no other reason to be there. Um, no reason to walk 100 miles on foot while you're seven, eight months pregnant. So they all go back to their hometown to register. Primary purpose, tax. I think that's what Caesar wanted. But the bonus purpose is there are family reunions take place because all of Joseph's family would have been back in Bethlehem. So it's essentially Chinese New Year. I think that's <laughs> essentially what it looked like. And I think that's why everything was so packed out and they couldn't find anywhere suitable to stay. Maybe, you know, all the other family dibs on the best rooms and so they, they didn't get a very good room to stay in. Kathleen, you live in a multi-generational home. Maybe it feels like Chinese New Year every day in your house. I don't know. Tell us what's that like. I think that's a really good description. <laughs> Chinese New Year every day, a party every day. Yeah, so um, 
I have a large family, and all four generations of us are in one house. So Gosh. right, you know, at the apex is my mother-in-law, who we are so blessed to have with us because she just turned 90. Gosh, yeah. Um, and so she's with us, and then we have my grandson, uh, my grandsons now, yes. we just had the second one, and she absolutely loves them. And so it's so beautiful to see in this family that, you know, my mother-in-law has this chance during MCO. We're all at home and course, the babies yeah. are there and, and it's just beautiful. Mm. Um, and, you know, I myself grew up in a house where my uh, grandma lived with us, my maternal, mm. my paternal grandma lived with us really all my life. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's just um, this continuation now into my family. Yes. And because this multi-generational house that we live in, <laughs> uh, you know, my parents-in-law were always there. And yeah. so when growing up, my kids had all the cousins there. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's not just a Chinese New Year party. It's like this extended um, open house. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's like. <laughs> yeah. And, and so now we have so many of us because some of us are married. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Yen and Ching, they live at home with us with the two babies. And recently, I mean, looking at this table, I'm thinking like, it's not big enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Priority in your house, big yeah, table. Yeah, yeah. So I, I just ordered a new dining table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a quite a lot of emphasis on, like, as we read through the gospel accounts um, about the family line. And in Matthew chapter one, you know, Matthew goes to the trouble of like outlining the whole family tree. So he starts with, I think, Abraham. I would need to check, but Abraham, and he traces it the whole way down to Jesus. Mm. And in light of our theme of home this year, I wonder, what do you think about, you know, this emphasis of the sense of belonging and sense of identity, how much does your, your generational line or the family that you're born into play a part in that? Well, my family is Hokkien. Okay. So yeah, very strongly Hokkien. And my father-in-law, um, his grandfather emigrated from a little island near Xiamen mm -hmm. and it's called Jinmen. And so, you know, we came to Malaysia. We're part of this Chinese diaspora. It's kind of been all over Southeast Asia. And coming here, I think it was really important, especially uh, for my father-in-law and his family, to hold on to those cultural values, mm. right? And so it was a very close-knit community yeah. when they're here. I mean, you know, the Hokkien's have a Hokkien association, very strong. <laughs> um, but on the other hand, you know, we were in this diverse, multicultural um, community in Malaysia. Mm. And so that was also part of our identity. Yeah. And I think the conflict or not the conflict, the challenge of that was trying to keep the family in that cultural context mm. uh, of Jinmen and then um, coming here and having kind of other, um, uh, you know, um, um, uh, other influences and Western influence as well. Yeah. So my father-in-law was really keen to impart this belonging to uh, his Hokkien province. Mm -hmm. And so he would take, when the kids were a little bit older, he would take them all on these yearly trips back to his village in mm -hmm. Jinmen and to visit the ancestral home. Okay. So we actually have an ancestral home there with all the names of the ancestors. Oh, wow. Yeah, and so he really wanted to impart that mm. sense of identity yeah. um, to them. And I think the other thing about identity from you know, my father-in-law and his family was the religion as well. So being you know, I, not just them, I think a lot of Chinese here. So having 
Taoist or Buddhism as your religion was really also part of mm. um, their identity. But for me, I was really lucky that my mom was a Christian and she had gone to a convent school and uh, accepted Jesus when she was um, with the nuns. Mm. And, you know, in a lot of families, there would have been a lot of opposition. But for her, her mother was an atheist, which was very unusual in her time. And so whilst her mother said, are you sure this is what you want to do? She didn't really oppose mm. that. So I grew up with my mom. Um, so I've always grew, grown up in, in the Christian faith. And yeah. it's always just been part of my identity. And so kind of looking at my big family and my children, you know, my husband and I, it's always something that is in our hearts that this is what we really want to impart to them, mm. that they grow up with the same faith. But we know, you know, that faith can only come with a relationship with Jesus. And all we can do mm. is just be their cheerleaders, yeah. you know, and just, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we just do our best and yeah. leave it to God. I think that's really interesting because later on we will read in the passage that Mary and Joseph really wanted to make sure Jesus was brought up within the faith as well. So they take him to the temple, they follow like all the guidelines to make sure that he, that, that sense of identity as well as with him. But what's really interesting about Jesus' family is that he was actually adopted into that. So we read that it's Joseph's family line he's born into, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. So actually he was his adoptive father. And so he's adopted into this incredible heritage with King David and Abraham. But also, this family is kind of messy, I think. We've got people who are, you know, murderers on the list in the family tree. You've got adulterers. And, and when Matthew lines it all out, he kind of picks who to name. And I think what's interesting is he names people that if you were, you know, if you're writing your own family tree, you might not like put that side of the family in. So he's got people like Rahab, who was a prostitute. So... I think what's incredible and the hope that Jesus brings is he not only understands adoption, but he also understands this, the messiness or the complexity of family life. Um, but it got me thinking, what about those people who maybe, you know, what if you don't know your generational line or what if you've been adopted and you don't know your birth parents or what if you don't have children and your family line, your generation stops with you? And I think the hope for us is that Jesus came in order that we would all be adopted into the family, that we all have that sense of belonging, they all have that identity as children of God. Um, and so this spiritual search for home is really important. Um, what do you think it looks like for us to have a spiritual search for home? Yeah, this really reminds me of when my older children, um, they were getting ready to go to university. And I was quite concerned that, you know, they, they would still kind of stay on the straight path. I mean, I've been there and uh, it's, it's really um, easy when you are away at uni to be distracted. And so I decided to run an alpha course in my house and invite their friends as well. So we had a group of friends and some cousins and we did the alpha course. And um, then they went off um, to the UK and to uni. And then we found HTB in London. And that was such a blessing because mm -hmm. that family at HTB welcomed them and they felt so at home and they would come every weekend. I mean, we, we would just call them on a Sunday and they'll say, oh, we're just going to church. <sighs> and, you know, it, it was such, uh, it was so beautiful to see that. And then they brought more friends to church. Mm. And so one of them um, was my daughter's best friend. 
and she was doing uh, medicine at uh, Imperial College, and she had done the Alpha course with us as well. And so, you know, through that journey of their friends and going to church and having done Alpha, one day she calls up and she says, you know what? I've given my life to Jesus. And we were like, oh, yes, you know, it's so amazing. And, you know, obviously she didn't come from a Christian family. And now she's part of this larger family Mm. of God. Um, We adopted her as our God child, of course. (laughs) And yeah, it's just so beautiful to see. And, you know, I think her family, one by one, will also come to know Jesus. This is so good. Isn't that so good? So encouraging to hear um, all of that. And I think that's that's the hope that, that Jesus redeems not only our earthly families, you know, he can be born into the messiness of that context, but also we are welcomed into the wider family of God, that we have lots of brothers and sisters in Christ um, and God is our Heavenly Father. We are going to move on and continue our story. So we've left Mary and Joseph. They're, they're making their way to Bethlehem. The baby has just been born. And then as we pick up the story in Luke chapter two again, um, we read about the shepherds. So the shepherds are out on in the fields at night. They're watching over their flocks at night as shepherds do. And a whole choir of angels then appears to, um, to the shepherds, which is quite epic, quite an interesting work night choir of angels appearing Um, and I'm sure you guys are familiar if you're watching you're maybe familiar with the Christmas story you've maybe seen a nativity scene kind of depicted Um, and so you might picture it that classic nativity scene you've got the baby you've got Mary Joseph you'll have the shepherds and like sheep Um, maybe you'll have some donkeys and then you'll have three wise men with like their camels parked outside that's like the classic (laughs) picture right of the nativity but actually the magi didn't make it in time for the group picture they weren't there (laughs) they weren't in the scene Um, because Mary and Joseph don't stay in Bethlehem that's not where they're from and when we read on in our passage in Luke 22 it says that on the eighth day of Jesus' life, they take him to Jerusalem. And so they go to the temple and they follow um, the law of Moses. So they wanted to present him to the Lord to do everything properly. So we know that Mary and Joseph have now left Bethlehem. They are making their way back by verse 39. They are back home in Nazareth. So but the Magi are still like making their way. Mm. They've they've been following the star and like they don't just jump in a grab and like <laughs> go straight there. They are following on foot. They've got the camels maybe. I don't know. How did how did kings travel in that day? Not really sure. And basically when the Magi get to the area, they go to the palace because that's logical, right? They're looking for a new king. So they meet King Herod and he's part of the Roman Empire. He is one of the governors um, and the rulers there. And he is so threatened by this news that there's a new king in town. So he orders that all children under the age of two should be killed. So this is like devastating. Joseph and Mary are gonna hear this. Jesus is now in danger. And so what happens is in Matthew, um, we read that an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and he says, get up take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt and stay there until I tell you because Herod is going to search for the child and he's going to kill him. And so this is a huge disruptor in the in their story and in their lives. They've finally got to Nazareth. They're about to make home together and bring up this child and then suddenly they have to relocate. Um, 
And so when Jesus knew he was going to be born as one of us, he knew that part of that story would be he'd be a displaced person, that he would have to seek refuge in another country that wasn't his home. And not everyone understands what that feels like. Not everyone knows what it's like to have to leave your country, not by choice. But Stephen, you're here around the table today and you <laughs> and your wife, Lam Lam, are just like the most exceptional people ever. You are. And um, I just know that you can speak into this with such wisdom because there's quite a lot of parallels between what Mary and Joseph went through and what you've been through personally, like your story. Do you want to tell us a bit about your story? Uh, yes. Uh, uh, what do I say? Leaving country without no spoiler alert. <laughs> I can definitely <laughs> relate to that. Yeah. Uh, so one evening I was sitting in uh, a small little house and my dad came. My dad was a taxi driver. So he came back then, uh, then he said, you have to leave country, Myanmar. Mm -hmm. So I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and then he, he explained me what he's seen and what is going on in our country mm. at that time, but also now we're going back to that time <laughs> recently. Yeah. Anyway, so he uh, surprised me with that. You have to leave within one week, but don't know which day you will leave, but he already make up my way out. Mm. And, and that was a really a quite shocking, and I, I don't know how to describe it, like suddenly you have to leave your family, yeah. Uh, the country, the place that you grew up, everything. And then going into the country that, because we were in close country, I'm, I'm sure Steve will know that how, because there, there's internet, but you can't use it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I don't know Malaysia. I heard about it, but have no idea how Malaysia looked like and then how far we'll take the trip and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. So it, it was a lot of anxiety, yeah. like disappointment, you know, anger, and, and, and why am I living? You know, why, why me and all this sort of kind of feeling. But but turned out there was uh, God plan for me. Mm. Yeah, so. Why do you say it, that it was God's plan for you? I noticed this. Um, it's fun fact, but also it's true, which is in verse 22, 23, I think, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple and dedicated to the Lord according mm. to the Moses law. So I grew up in very strong Christian family, although we are very poor, but my grandma was an epic, uh, kind of classic, <laughs> a Christian, uh, very strong faith. So she very, she strongly believed that the firstborn in the family, the first fruits in the garden or, you know, villages must dedicate it to God, you know, mm. according to the Moses. And the first fruits, the first son, every, everything that, you know, first came out is, you know, it's belonged to God. Mm -hmm. So I was the first one for my parent and also from both sides. For my both grandparents' side, I was the first ever grandchild. So my grandma quickly dedicated <laughs> me to the Lord. And then uh, the minister who prayed for me, there was three ministers. And they were asking my grandma, so what you want your grandchild to be? Mm. And she quickly said, without consulting my parents, I want him to be a, a pastor or a minister. My so gosh. they prayed for it. And then the name came out Stephen. For all three of them have the same sense of Stephen. So that's how I get my name Stephen. That's amazing. Yeah, that's but so this first time I ever proud of my name. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the I grew up hating that that mm. that story because I don't want to be a pastor. I don't want to serve in the, the you know like 
Christian pastor, and so mm. I'm going to do something different, something unique. I'm going to jump into music. And then that's one point I starting to have my dream came true. My band was going to climb up, and we are starting to get gigs and all this thing, and starting to get recognized by this this music scene. Then my dad came up with this surprise thing. <laughs> so that's a big wow. part of my disappointment. Then story going on after I came here after two years, I was really upset toward God. I curse. I I think yeah I don't really. You know, do anything. I just drink, work, drink, work, drink, work. Just, just, mm. just flow my life. Then one day, my friend invited me to go to this Tuesday Myanmar service, which still carry on in in, in HGVV. Uh, he said, "It's youth center. It's a bunch of young people worshiping <laughs> on Tuesday." I said, "Tuesday? What are they doing Tuesday?" <laughs> so, so he invited me every day. Every time he saw me, so I, I felt bad. You know, friend invite me, but you always have to reject. So. Yeah, actually, I was Christian, so why not give a try? Mm. So I went there. The moment I I went into the service, uh, that's where God touched me. That's mm. that's curious. That looking around the young people worshiping. Right. Why I never felt you know like this kind of young people <laughs> really exciting to worship God. So that's where God starting to turn my life, and then. I never stopped going to that Tuesday until I encountered God. Then I. God continued the journey in my life, and mm. and I starting to drop all this kind of you know like addiction, whatever I I messing around. <clears throat> and then in 2015, I jumped into full time ministry, and then <laughs> 2016, I joined SPDC. Yeah, you and did. now some people call me pastor. So <laughs> <laughs> looks like uh, my grandma, what she did, and also God, what. He planned mm. for me is is really true. <laughs> And now you have a beautiful son. Yes, God has blessed us with a three-year-old boy, Sebastian. Yeah. yeah. And what sort of things do you guys think about? Obviously, you, your family are still back in Myanmar. You know, you can still see all that's been going on in the world in Myanmar recently. It's been very unsettled. Um, And but you're here. You're in Malaysia. You're raising Sebastian. He's three years old. Mm-hmm. What are the sort of things that go through your mind um, when you're kind of thinking about him and his upbringing? Yeah, that's uh, for for us. Okay, raising child in in foreign land mm-hmm. uh, as a, for example, as a professional, uh, what do you call it, professional visas mm-hmm. people may be a very different story. But for us, refugee. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen in the next few months, and that's kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Raising children is is definitely uh, a yeah. really <laughs> a difficult thing, so, mm-hmm. uh, if I honestly say. But mm-hmm. so the challenges are it's it's really, for example, from from the day one, you notice the pregnancy, you're starting to think about where where to go, mm-hmm. and what is your budget like, you know, yeah. and and if you go to governments. Hospital, how's the language, and and if you go private mm-hmm. hospital, what's the pricing? Are yeah. all this? So that was the very basic beginning, and when he's came out, you have to start worry about the healthcare, mon- monthly yeah. healthcare, and all this stuff. And then now he's three, he have we have to start thinking about school, mm-hmm. you know, where to send, and all these things. Uh, God is so good to us. But the challenge is just what yeah. I'm trying to share. Is the mm. challenge is, is really a lot of limitation for us, mm. 
because we're living here as a refugee, we're not yeah. a professional kind of visa uh, mm -hmm. people. So this kind of a lot of different, mm -hmm. constantly, you know, different challenges yeah. and limitation and, and, and all this, is everything, it's keep yeah. coming up and I can totally relate to <laughs> Joseph and Mary yeah. to raise Jesus in the other country, yeah. you know, which you have no clue about it. I don't think they have clue about, you know. <laughs> Yeah, now we live in internet world, but back then I don't <laughs> think they would know what is in the the next yeah, city. Yeah, they couldn't like what. Google yeah, yeah. Egypt before they left. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So, so I I can really we can really relate to that challenges that mm. Mary and Joseph carry to raise their child yeah. in, in, in foreign land. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that part of your story with us. You've so much wisdom to speak into it and. Um, you're right, Mary and Joseph, they were in Egypt for, we don't know exactly how long that they were there. Um, but then if we go back to our passage in Luke chapter 2, um, near the end of Luke chapter 2, what we read is Jesus is 12 years old by this stage. Um, they are at a festival in Jerusalem and his parents have lost him, which wasn't wonderful for them. I'm sure that was very stressful. And I can imagine losing your child, never mind the Son of God. Um, and so when they're reunited in the temple, this is what Jesus says to his parents. He says in verse 49 of Luke chapter 2, Why were you searching for me? He asked, Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And you know, this family has traveled. They they started off in Nazareth and then they moved on to Bethlehem to give birth and they go up to Jerusalem again and then they go back to Nazareth, they go to Egypt and they're all over the place. And where our passage ends for us today is in his father's house. And I think that's a really lovely picture for us because this is what the church looks like. Maybe not all the time with all this food, but this is a picture of the church community. Um, and I think, you know, this year has, raised so many questions for so many different types of people. I feel like, you know, a lot of people have been searching for their belonging. They've been thinking, you know, where, who are my people? Like, where do I truly call home? And, and we're all searching for that sense of belonging, that sense of home. And yet in this world, we, we will never quite find it because we are children of God. We're citizens of heaven and that is where our true home is. And so, I think that's the good news for us today, that there is an invitation to be invited into the family of God, into the church. And as the church, you know, we, we are a community together, um, a place of peace, a place of belonging, a place of refuge. And, and this is what the family of God looks like, feasting together <laughs> over the dinner table. And so I just really want to thank all of you for everything that you shared today. Um, our conversation has been so fruitful and so lovely to, to shed a different light on the Christmas story that perhaps we're all quite familiar with. Um, and the most extraordinary choices were made by God and how Jesus came down to be born as one of us. He was intentionally born into a land of conflict into an imperfect family and into unstable circumstances. And so this Advent season, as we anticipate Jesus's birth, um, when he came like one of us at Christmas, we have, the, we have the assurance that he can redeem, that he can restore our lives today. And so that is the invitation that you're invited in to come and find home. Why don't we pray together? Let's pray. You know, we've talked about a lot of different things today. And so maybe there's things starting to um, come to mind for you. Maybe you're thinking over your own circumstance, your home life, your family, your work. 
And so we'd love to be able to spend time praying for each other now. Um, you can request prayer just by clicking the button. And if you're catching up on this, you can uh, go to the YouTube description box and someone will, will reach out and pray for you. So why don't I just ask the Holy Spirit to come now and to fill us with His presence today. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit. We're just going to wait on Him.